everybody, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your co-host, David Cobb, joined by Michael O'Neill. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. Hello, everyone. So, folks, I want to say, first of all, Happy New Year's Eve. If you are actually watching us live uh, on Facebook, uh, you're watching us live, but Michael and I are not live. Hopefully, we're out actually partying on New Year's Eve, but we did for this program pre-record because we wanted to do a show on things that Greens must learn, especially from the top five news cycles of 2018. Uh, We will be returning actually live uh, on January 7th, uh, and we'll talk about that a little later. But in the meantime, there is a lot to cover. So let's dive right in. This is, again, the top five uh, stories that Greens must consider, learn about, or otherwise think about as we move into 2018. And the very first one, Russia, Russia, Russia. Let's turn to Michael O'Neill for that story. Thank you, David. Yeah, this dominated the landscape. And I I think 2018 was about the, the fallout from the Trump election seeking a kind of perverse equilibrium. Uh, 2017, the dust was actively settling. 2018, we had our first federal elections, right? Our, our midterm elections. And we saw a lot of things shake out. But one thing that has remained consistent since even before Trump's election, or certainly before his inauguration, is this, this fixation, this obsession with Russia as the reason that, that Trump was elected, and this comes from, I think, so many different angles. One, the, uh, the Democratic Party leadership refusing to believe that they lost to the second worst candidate in American presidential history. The worst presidential candidate arguably being Hillary Clinton. Uh, second, uh, you have just an entire neoliberal establishment that can't believe uh, that this, this you know, craven horrible, idiotic, but savant-like political jackal just, you know, completely rained on their parade and took it all over. And, and a refusal to acknowledge that there has been a rot in our political system, in our economic system, in our social system for decades that fed into the election of Donald Trump. And rather than confront all of those ugly, scary realities, they are instead claiming that, you know, Russia ate their their homework or Putin ate their homework. And in, in 2018, what's new or what felt new to me is what I'm calling the Russia, the Russiagate industrial complex, this whole industry of podcasts and, and, reporters and books and and Russiagate grifters, McCarthyite grifters who are just making a living and then some on obsessing over every little leak or report from Mueller or the exit of various peoples from the Trump regime or indictments or subpoenas and in each one, it's they're looking for that one silver bullet that's going to make Trump go away so that we don't have to confront all of the absurdities and iniquities and injustices of our entire system, our entire way of life, so that we can just go back to the way things were. 
You know, Michael, I love that you've described this as the Russian industrial complex because it really does show the interconnected worldview, the kind of failure and conscious failure, intentional failure on the part of the corporate elite establishment to recognize what actual Donald Trump represents. I think you're right. We have to name the fact that Donald Trump is a function of the failure of corporate capitalism and neoliberalism. Uh, The neoliberal Democrats created the system in which somebody like Donald Trump could come into existence. And you know what occurs to me? That the the Donald Trump or the the liberal Democrats, Russia, Russia, Russia response uh, to Donald Trump is not unlike the right wing conservative uh, response to Obama, the birth certificate. It's a cognitive dissonance. They can't comprehend the, the right could not comprehend how a black man could become president. So they had to create some crazy uh, rationale like it didn't actually happen because he's not actually a U.S. citizen. Clearly crazy. Frankly, the Russia, Russia, Russia phenomenon of that's the only reason that Trump got elected is a cognitive dissonance on the part of neoliberal and liberal Democrats who can't comprehend how a buffoon like uh, Donald Trump became president. That's how I see it. And I want to express some sympathy and compassion because there are a lot of, I think, good-hearted people out there who felt very traumatized by the election of such a overtly, publicly racist, sexist, misogynist, abusive character to the highest office in the land. I think there's real pain out there that people feel about the Trump election. And that is what angers me so much about this, as you said, this manipulative and self-serving response from the neoliberal establishment is that they are taking people's pain and channeling it into this fake silver bullet of getting rid of Trump with uh, by proving Russian collusion, as opposed to addressing where people's pain is really coming from so that we could move forward and transcend this. And I got to say, Michael O'Neill, I know I share that pain. I feel that pain. Uh, it pains me that a buffoon uh, and such a rank, imper- like just, just horrific person is president of the United States. So uh, like I appreciate that compassion and empathy because, frankly, I need a little bit of it, too. It's, it's hard coming to terms with Trump as president of the United States. And directing just a little bit of compassion back to ourselves as eco-socialist, nonviolent revolutionaries, the Russiagate industrial complex and just how pervasive it is across the entire mediascape, it has been a gaslighting on me in a way I have not felt since the, since the weapons of mass destruction hoax uh, leading up to the Iraq invasion. This sense of like, I'm constantly having to swim upstream against this consensus reality where people who I uh, admire and respect and have, uh, you know, very close feelings for who are completely caught up in this. And it makes me doubt, well, like, is it me or but but you got to go back to it that. We we know where the good reporting is. Uh, Aaron Mate at the Nation of all places. Aaron Mate, formerly of the Real News, formerly of Democracy Now, has been doing great reporting to to actually say what is coming out of the Mueller investigation and debunking a lot of the grandiose claims that have come out of the the Russiagate Mueller media industrial complex. So I just wanted to give a, a shout know, out Michael- there. 
Yeah, and you actually have used a phrase that I want you to expound on a bit, and that is that trauma makes the center look good. What mm-hmm. do you mean by that? Well, I keep thinking about Left Forum, uh, the national annual gathering of, of leftists and socialists and anarchists. And of course, there's one in California now, so you could say it's semi-annual. But the one I've been to is in New York City. And I just remember a, a couple of years ago, maybe it was leading up to the 2016 election, the theme was the center cannot hold. And it was the theme was that, you know, the Obama administration has shown that the neoliberal third way is completely insufficient. And and so people are ready for radical change. But the trauma of the Trump election, I think, has moved a lot of people, even self-identified leftists, from thinking that the center cannot hold to, wow, the center actually looks pretty amazing right now compared to the nightmare that we're dealing with. And that's a, a completely relatable temptation, but we must not fall for that temptation. Because as you already pointed out, it was the neoliberal center which created the conditions for Trump. You know, Michael, I think that you've really made an astute observation there, and you've said it in a way that really rings true to me. And folks, listeners and watchers of A Green Way Forward, I promise you we are going to come back to this topic in uh, 2019. It'll probably be while we dive into the difference between the popular front and the united front uh, in our uh, effort to both be organizers and educators and uh, students uh, of social movements. Uh, We could spend the rest of the show on Russia, 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 but we got to move on to the next big topic. And that is that the corporate media still mostly distracts rather than informs. And I got to say, Michael, uh, again, we could do like hours and hours on this. But a couple of things I want to hit really quickly is to just acknowledge and leading out of Donald Trump, Stormy Daniels, like the reality is that the Stormy Daniels story, although it deserves attention, it was so salacious. It was so ridiculously uh, focused on the 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 you know the the porn aspect of it. What was missed, in my opinion, was the fact that actually the allegation is that the entire Trump campaign was absolutely violating campaign finance laws left and right to the point that a huge payment was made to a porn actress in order to cover up uh, that relationship. And that almost never gets told in the corporate media. Yeah. Two quick points I want to make about this is uh, there is something about the, the recordings that were released about the, the Stormy Daniels payoff and just the reporting about it in general that it, it just shows the ease and the casualness of how this happened, which to me always signals that this is going on all the time. This was, no one was in these recordings saying, oh, well, we better be careful about this. It was, it was just like, just cutting a check, just like for any other vendor. And so I think it's, it's a indicator for how pervasive this is. I'm sure the Trump campaign was worse than many campaigns, but I think this kind of abusive campaign finance, as long as we're going to have corporate cash in politics, then this is a lot more widespread than people think. But but the way it is framed, it makes people think, oh, well, just just all oh, the, the Trump campaign was abusing campaign finance or they're not even thinking about that, as you said. The second point 
is somewhat related, which is if you recall, Stormy Daniels as, as a performer was actually targeted for a, an arrest. She was jammed up for an arrest in my home state of Ohio. And again, uh, internal documents were leaked where the, the investigator who set this up and, and orchestrated this arrest where they, they basically entrapped her and she was eventually, she was released and apologized to. But again, the internal communications that were leaked did not indicate that these people were nervous. These police law enforcement officials were at all nervous about what they were doing. They were having fact, a lot with fact, it. They felt completely protected. Exactly. Showing that this is business as usual right. for how the police and the elites operate together. Right. And so we found out about it in this case, but how about all the people who are not a global household name and do not have a high powered, if slimy, uh, you know, attorney working for them. It just, it's an indicator for the kind of abuse that goes on every day that we never hear about. And folks, I mean, there's just so many examples of how the corporate media still mostly distracts rather than informs. But I want to hit a couple more. And that is, frankly, the failure to actually cover the yellow vest movement that's sweeping across Europe and is now, in fact, started in Taiwan and other places. Let's contextualize what is actually happening. And that is a at at this stage, I'll call it uh, a rebellion. It's not quite a revolution yet, uh, but in terms of the process, you have a mass rebellion against the neoliberal policies of Macron in France that actually erupted that. It's true that the spark, the original spark, was the 20% increase uh, in gas taxes, but really what we're seeing in France and then spreading across all of Europe and then in other places uh, across the globe is how some citizens uh, of France are responding to an attempt to impose Clinton, that is Bill Clinton-esque, neoliberal policies. And the reason that the corporate media is not covering the Yellow Vest movement at all, which is arguably one of the biggest stories uh, of uh, Europe of 2018, is because they would have to actually provide some context for why, and they just can't do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a a given. Uh, And again, we'll probably return to the Yellow Vest movement uh, in 2019. The next uh, corporate media story that's sort of distracting rather than informing is the wildfires that have spread uh, across all of the U.S. Now, the wildfires are being covered, but what's not being covered is the objective scientific reality that climate change is causing more and bigger wildfires. And we have dropped actually a link uh, into a, a story there, but I do want to really point out that the reality of the climate crisis, it's not coming, it's here and getting worse. The corporate media continues to mostly ignore that story. And we'll return uh, to that topic a little bit uh, later. But the last thing I really want to nail that for me, as somebody who did so much work in the democracy movement and fighting corporate power, the basically untold story of how the corporate mega merger of Bayer and Monsanto uh, bringing together two of the worst uh, corporate actors of the 20th century, basically, uh, and I, Michael, almost didn't see that anywhere except in left media. 
Yeah, this is actually, you're including it in the show notes for this is the literally the first time I heard about it. Granted, I was managing a campaign for governor this year, but but still, that's no excuse on the part of the corporate media, considering how much I heard about other stories. And and just to throw in, one of the most high-profile mainstream pieces I've I've seen about the yellow vest was attempting to link them to Putin and Russia. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh my god! Yeah. It's just you see, yeah. folks. So the, the, the top five uh, uh, stories from the Green Party perspective that were mostly censored, number one, Russia, Russia, Russia. Number two, the corporate media distracting. The fact that they were able to somehow attempt to bring those together is almost beyond words. You know what, Michael O'Neill? This would be funny if it were satire. But sure. because it's true, it's tragedy. Mm-hmm. Let's move to a close related uh, uh, story, uh, and that is number three, and that is while the corporate media still mostly distracts, item three is that corporate Democrats still can't be trusted. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Michael O'Neill. Thanks, David. Well, uh, working on a Green Party gubernatorial campaign here in New York State, I had a front row seat to the Andrew Cuomo campaign, and corporate Cuomo as being one of the most corrupt Democrats in in the country, at least in terms of of his his economic policies and and all of the bribery and and bid rigging scandals around him and just people in his administration falling left and right. I mean, you could argue that Cuomo was rivaling Trump in terms of people around him and associated with him being indicted and tried and convicted this year. Of course, you're not going to hear about that from MSNBC or the Russiagate Trump media industrial complex. And so, again, coming back to this idea of 2018 seeking a perverse equilibrium within the Democratic Party, you had the Sanders campaign in 2016 and and that being a disruptive force within the Democratic Party. Now, I would argue that in the macro sense, that campaign did its job of providing a kind of a a steam valve release, a pressure release for leftists and activists within the party. Uh, But then, of course, the coronation of Hillary Clinton as the nominee proceeded. But the big question was, well, what is the Sanders wing of the Democratic Party going to do going into 2018? What lasting impact did the Sanders campaign have on the Democratic Party? Well, Here in New York State, you had Andrew Cuomo referring to the so-called progressive wave or blue wave of Democrats, insurgent Democrats getting elected this year as being a blip. You had Cynthia Nixon running for governor here as a uh, a LGBTQ identifying uh, um, progressive insurgent. Uh, She even for a time was identifying herself as a socialist so she could court the Democratic Socialist of America nomination. And and but then even though she had an independent ballot line, a theoretically independent ballot line in the fake Working Families Party, she still, when she lost the Democratic Party nomination, dropped out of the race and endorsed Andrew Cuomo. And even though this all the corruption that uh, she cited him for, she still um, threw her endorsement behind him. And and so what I'm driving at here, maybe somewhat meanderingly, is that you've got the really bad corporate Democrats like Chuck Schumer, like Nancy Pelosi, who are closing ranks against the Green New Deal. 
and who are trying to water down the Green New Deal and who are making sure that the idea of defunding the military never gets mentioned in talking about a Green New Deal. But then you have the progressive insurgent slash enablers within the Democratic Party who make the Democratic Party look better than it really is. And when they themselves, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, while she has talked about how when we need to fund a war, no one ever asks where the money's going to come from. But when we want to fund universal health care, people demand to know where the money's going to come from. She has made those connections. But I would like to see a stronger linking of of those ideas that when she's talking about the Green New Deal, that it's not just about because the way she's talking about it, you could interpret her as, as saying, well, we have plenty of money for both the wars and the Green New Deal. And actually, I don't think we do. And even if we did, we still need to defund the wars. So, you know, that's such an important point, Michael. And I really want to take this moment to underscore that there are differences between Alexandria Octavia Cortez as a genuinely uh, like progressive Democrat, but still a Democrat apologist. Uh, the 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 what I'll call the sort of the mainstream uh, Democrat and then the full on neoliberal corporate Democrat. Sure. We have to understand that, we, like, you can't just say the Democrats mm-hmm. uh, and uh, cover that because who do you mean? Do you mean Lieberman? You know, do you mean AOC? Uh, do you mean something else? Or Beto so O'Rourke or Cory Booker? Yeah. Like, again, like, like at the end of the day, what we have to understand is it's the corporate Democrats that really cannot be trusted. I do believe that genuine progressive Democrats are making a mistake tactically by staying within the Democratic Party, because I think that ultimately that prevents them from doing the things that need to be done. But I work hard not to turn genuine progressive Democrats into enemies because I'm trying to win them over. And I wish Greens would stop this relentless, uh, 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 un-nuanced attack Mm -hmm. on AOC and actually recognize that for all the faults and problems of DSA and Jacobin and the Democratic Party entryism uh, tactic, they are not our enemy. We're trying to win them over, and you don't win them over by yelling at them. Absolutely. Those are 100% spot-on points. One way to frame this is that we absolutely cannot trust the corporate Democrats. We we need to keep a, a comradely engagement with um with uh let's say uh, as you said uh, earnest progressives who are to some extent placing their faith if not in the democratic leadership but at least in the democratic party structure they are placing their faith that they can have a fair competition within that structure. They are placing their faith that they can eventually take over that structure and that there is a, a fair mechanism for them to do that. And that is a, an important conversation that we need to keep having. And, and we will have that on a green way forward go uh, as we go into 2019. Before we leave this topic, though, I feel like I've got to ask you to make some of your observations that I've heard you make uh, about Beto in Texas as an example of corporate Democrats. Right. Well, 
Beto came out of 2018, even though he lost his campaign as sort of the front runner for being the leading light of the, the Democratic Party and and as a as a, a 2020 presidential candidate and just some of the the praises that are being sung for Beto in, in different mainstream political uh, publications, people calling him a white Obama, which I find a, just a completely toxic and an offensive and distasteful term for for like five different vectors um but that he's he's a he makes liberals feel good about themselves and but when you look at the actual investigative work that david sirota has done and by investigative work i mean just looking at publicly available campaign finance reports You can see that Beto has taken fossil fuel money. But when this gets pointed out near a tandem with the Center for American Progress or the Center for American uh, Regress is is attacking David Sirota for pointing out, again, these publicly available uh information about his campaign and 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 casting this neo McCarthyite aspersions on him that well he must be working against progressive causes to it's it's dangerous to undermine a progressive candidate like Beto O'Rourke that the fact is that Beto awful. O'Rourke gets to wear the mantle of a progressive candidate simply because he was challenging uh, Ted Cruz actually should be a uh, cause for pause let's be clear i get it uh, as a native Texan, uh, I get it that, that like Ted Cruz is reprehensible. And the fact that there was somebody challenging him for U.S. Senate that, that might actually beat him, I can understand why there was so much enthusiasm. But to pretend as if he was some sort of progressive messiah, I'll tell you something, Michael O'Neill. I think Beto O'Rourke really actually is the white uh, Barack Obama, uh, just as Barack Obama was the black Bill Clinton. I mean, the reality is they are neoliberals who have been able to use a little bit of progressive rhetoric and basically coat over the horrific imperialistic policies, the capitalist uh, uh, defense and support of the existing regime. Which brings me to item four that I really want to talk about. Oh, David, go ahead, if Michael. I can just when I was uh, when I was mentioning my distaste for the phrase white Obama, I guess what I was getting at is in these uh, these reports, the way they're framing it is he's, he's as good as Barack Obama and he's white. Right. It's like, oh, wow, like as great as Barack Obama was politically and this guy's Caucasian. So he'll, he'll perform even better. So that was the aspect. Okay. Of no, it. I, I get yeah. it. And I guess what I was trying to do is really like, again, have honest candid and sure. hard conversations around how both Clinton and Obama and O'Rourke and what that actually represents. Yeah. Politically, I, I think they're they're very much aligned. I mean, if not right. synonymous in terms of their actual politics. Yes. But yes, let's proceed to number four. Number four, and that is the continued bipartisan support of U.S. empire. Look, this actually was so untold, but a couple of ways that I want to talk about it. One, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, like the reality, Syria, the reality of U.S. empire unabated and uncontested and even completely undiscussed, uh, not only in the corporate media, but frankly, almost across uh, most of even liberal or progressive media, uh, with one real notable exception, at least, that I think about. And I really want to lift up Chris Hedges' Uh, new book, America, the Farewell Tour, which basically is a scathing indictment of U.S. empire 
and actually in a really uh, with journalistic integrity and aplomb dissects and contextualizes not only where U.S. empire came from, where it is now, but most importantly, the prediction that it's going to come to an end because the ecological economic and political crisis is literally changing the dynamics. Nation state empires will not continue. We are seeing the emergence of fascism because of that. Uh, I just think that, that Chris Hedge's book is really something that everybody should be reading. Absolutely. And I want to say in these last couple of years, uh, Chris Hedges, as he has been for a lot of the 21st century has been like one of those points in the darkness that as the gaslighting goes on about Russiagate and things like that, Chris Hedges is there providing solidly reasoned and courageous uh, critique of, of what's going on. Right. And, you know, I got to say, it's not that I always agree with Chris Hedges, sure. but I have always appreciated the fact that he engages in astute, critical thinking, concise writing, uh, and he is a provocative journalist uh, of the highest order. Right. You know, the last uh, uh, story that I want to uh, end with for this program as we end uh, 2018, we've alluded to it several times, but I want to take it head on. And that is the Democratic Party's introduction of the Green New Deal, even as they completely strip it away of its call to restructure society. Uh, Michael is going to drop into the comments section the Green Party's uh, Green New Deal into the comments. Uh, I promise you we will be talking about this a lot in 2019. Here's a teaser. The first show of January, January 7th, we're going to do a live show on the Green New Deal. But I do want to actually point out that the Democrats under AOC have introduced one that strips away any critique uh, or call to dismantle the military industrial complex. In addition, it strips away the call to restructure the economics of society, especially the idea of creating local employment offices that are under local control. Again, we're going to do a whole show on this, but I really think it's important, Michael O'Neill, I'm going to ask you to sort of not only did Alexander Octavio Cortez and progressive Democrats introduce a super watered down version of it, you made a point of how the corporate Democrats reacted to even the watered down version. And what is that? To they literally squashed it. They absolutely refused to allow AOC to even have a committee on this. So even the little effort that you get whenever a progressive Democrat tries to introduce a watered-down version of the Green New Deal, the neoliberal Democrats who actually control that party squash it. So that's the, 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 the teaser for the show that we will do on January 7th where we'll return to you live. So before I uh, do the conclusion on the show, Michael O'Neill, I want to give you an opportunity for any final thoughts of 2018 of this show uh, or uh, writ large. Thank you, David. Well, uh, back to our last two points, I'm reminded that probably one of Trump's biggest moments of consensus praise for his administration is when he bombed Syria. And now one of the biggest moments of, of consensus condemnation for his administration is the resignation of General uh, Mattis uh, as uh, from the Mad the, Dog Mattis, Mad, Mad Dog Mattis, who who was the guy in charge of the invasion of Iraq. 
And in a, a more just world, I mean, he would be tried for a war crime because the invasion of Iraq was a war crime. It was a war of aggression. And so it just highlights how addicted we are to our empire and and to the notion that we can use, you know, bombs for justice. And uh, and closing out 2018 here, I just want to say that I, I want to encourage people to try to get out of this uh, tide, this riptide of constant national attention to Trump. Take a look at what's happening in your town, in your city, in your state. Look at the good reporting there or whatever reporting you have available because there's plenty of people being hurt and crushed by your local and state apparatuses and there's plenty of corruption going on there that you have a lot more efficacy to actually try and change. And by building power there and making changes there, we will then in the aggregate build the power we need to make the changes we need at the national level. Uh, but just constantly scanning Twitter and and blogs for for Trump's latest uh, faux pas or or excesses or monstrous acts, that's not actually moving us closer to getting rid of Trump and getting rid of the many people like him in our power structure. So well said, Michael O'Neill. And I want to thank you, the viewer listener. If you're listening to us on podcast, thank you so much. Please share. Uh, this podcast with your family and friends. If you're watching us on Facebook, uh, please share this on your own personal page or any other page that you manage. And lastly, go to the website, agreenwayforward.org and sign up. We know that being dependent on Facebook is a very tenuous proposition. At A Green Way Forward, we are already thinking about in 2019, how to expand our platform across multiple platforms, even as we change the format of the show to tweak it to be more successful. A reminder, we, Michael O'Neill and I, are unapologetic eco-socialists. The two goals of the Green Way Forward are to advance the very concept and principles of eco-socialism across uh, the political landscape, and number two, closely related, to improve the effectiveness of Green Party as social change agents and organizers. To us, those are related things. Thank you so much for joining us on this New Year's Eve. And I want to encourage you to join us on January 7th, where we'll return live, both on Facebook and on podcast, on A Green Way Forward. In the meantime, keep on keeping on. Happy New Year. Peace. Happy New Year, everyone. Anderson Cooper's really a Vanderbilt. A Greenway Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.